Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Red Men Weekly Podcast. Steve Ho here to bring you all the best clips from our Red Men Plus shows from the previous week. Just to let you know, like I always do, these shows are available in full, both in video and podcast forms, over on redmenplus.com. And special offer for you, if you want to go and check them out, if you go to redmenplus.com, if you're a new customer, you've never tried it before and you want to get involved, head over to the website, Sign up as a yearly club captain, and if you use the code YEAR, Y-E-A-R, when you sign up, you'll get it for half price. So you'll get a year's subscription. It should cost you 50 quid. It'll only cost you £25. You can listen or watch to every single one of these shows, plus everything we've ever done and everything we're going to do in the next 12 months as well. Absolute bargain. Right then, without further ado, the first clip is from the Biased Football Podcast. Paul Machen, Chris Pajak, Dan Club. And Chloe blocks him at a big old chimwag. Let's do Man United and then we'll come back to the whole top four chat, I guess. Um, David Moyes, Chris, said there was a little genius. Football, genius. football genius, little story there, a little bit of revenge. He hadn't beaten Man United Ten years, wasn't he? Yeah, since he was since he was Everton manager. Um, and I thought I thought West Ham were brilliant. Yeah. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, I had this game on while I was sort of watching the F1, so I only saw the main parts of it really, but um, they are proper bottlers, aren't they, Manchester United, I think, at the moment, and they are, like, mad. Like, the way that Gary Neville's come out and talks about the ownership after a loss <laughs> and all that type of stuff, it just makes me fucking laugh my head off. Like, yeah. like it wasn't Ten Hag's decision to put Vegorst up front instead of Martial yesterday. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck is Vegorst? Yeah. He is not. Tall. He, he is not that. a Manchester United <laughs> oh. forward, is he? Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> he should not be a Manchester United forward, should he? Mm. Yeah, I, I think you? he should. <laughs> I think you should <laughs> keep him in there forever. Fucking rubbish. Yeah, uh, rubbish. they constantly bring me joy, and they they continue to bring me joy. No, no, no hopefully they'll continue yeah. to bring. Can you just remind me, Jörg Schmadke signed Wav Vekos when he was at Wolfsburg. Oh god, okay, cool. it's not going well. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, they obviously got a, like the makeshift defence. They got Luke Short at centre half, so they're, they're kind of pushing the way through with that at the minute, but. It's the it's the whole feeling of things at the moment. You look at the way and it. You should never judge too much from social media because it doesn't really give you a mm-hmm. fair cross section how fans are feeling. Except that the only Man United fans I follow are all our mates who, who work within it and and all that kind of stuff. And seeing their reactions has been fascinating because they all think that they're crumbling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's mad that they've gone from six weeks ago they were on for a treble 
and you know they were in fact it was a quadruple they were on yeah. for weren't they at one point they were challenging for the title they were just on the fringes of a title challenge they had the league cup in the bag FA Cup still going they had the Europa League there as well to go for and now they are regressing to the mean I, I said this about them and Newcastle have both capitalised and Arsenal have actually capitalised really well on the collapse of Liverpool and Chelsea but if Liverpool are able to get themselves up and running, then Liverpool, it would shock me and annoy me tremendously when I look at that Man United team. We're miles better than them, like to a man. We're, we, there's, there's, there's very few people in that squad who I think are anywhere close enough to play to Liverpool. And it really frustrates me that our, we've shot ourselves in the foot plus injuries has allowed it to look like there's a gulf somehow. It's a bit like the COVID season again, where they mm. felt they were a title challenge inside. It was like, no, because we fucked it. And that's why you are where you are. Um, West Ham bullied them, Dan, from start to finish in that game. Yeah. They were first every ball. They were more committed. They were faster. They were better on the counter-attack, which is obviously Man United's MO. Mm-hmm. And they United didn't have enough quality there. They're not ready to be that side that goes and wins those games of footy yet. No, they're not. And I think you're right. I think West Ham wanted it more. All sort of the fundamentals of a, of a side that you'd expect, I suppose, when you are down there scrapping for your lives. But you'd want your team, if that was Liverpool going to the London Stadium, you'd want it a lot more because United have never really at the races. But I think the West Ham performance was kind of underpinned by an absolutely outstanding Declan Rice show. He yeah, was superb. Unreal. Again, I was expecting Chris to mention him, to be honest, because he was out. He was, he was everywhere. He's he not just like we kind of we pigeonhole him a little bit when we talk about Rice. Oh, he's this six who mops up really well. He gets he did everything last night. He playing was, left wing for the literally last 10 minutes, going past people on the left wing and making stuff happen in that sense. He was just superb. But yeah, you're right. To a man, they were better. They were quicker. They were at every second ball. And I do wonder. You obviously used the word crumbling there, and I wonder whether United. I mean. They have played a lot of footy this year. I know something we said a lot last year, we don't use any excuse, but they have played a lot of football and their squad is thin because of that. And I think they are on the last legs now, which obviously bears well for what we want to do for the remainder of the season because I think they are, I think they might be a little bit done for the season and they're going to be falling over the line They've if they get that there. that FA Cup at the end as well. Exactly, yeah. Because just from doing the overlap through the week, and I wonder whether this would be the case, but they, t- they treat that treble like it's their personal property. It's a bit like the Arsenal in the, Invinci- in the Invincibles mm. thing. If any other club goes near it, all of a sudden like, what, 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 what? who's talking about our trouble? Who's talking about our trouble? And they they are lynching their entire season around stopping Man City yeah. by winning the FA Cup, um, which they won't do, by the way, because City will absolutely yeah. wipe the floor with them. Mm. But um, that's a little thing to this all as it feels like they're, they're starting to run out of steam yeah. in the league and while you've got something else to play for you're starting to feel tired you're starting to find teams legging you around the pitch and you've still got this other piece of silver you've, you've won a piece of silverware so the season's a success mm-hmm. almost even if you see, if it stopped now that would be seen as some as a, as a win for them because they've managed to bag a trophy they're in a re- I think they're in a really vulnerable place right now mm. I hope it continues but they're the ones I think look most like of the two of Full Newcastle out. and United to well, that will go on, Chloe, what do you think? I don't know. I just think... Can't bring yourself to feel that, can you? No, because their fixtures are just nothing. Like, it's Wolves. I think they've got Bournemouth in there it's somewhere, well. maybe. They've got Fulham in there. These are game Chelsea. 
they're just nothing gains. A resurgence, Chelsea. What are you talking about? Yeah, the thing is that you are you are right, but like like Paul says, that they got legged around last night by a West Ham side. But they're fighting but, for something. But no, they are. But they've been ill all week. See, they had no one at City the other night. The, the after squad was missing for illness. They've only just got back half of them. So they were they they shouldn't have been legging United around. Is what I, I'm but trying to say. I, what I will also say is, I mean the. West Ham get a goal at the higher. He's at fault for a hundred percent. But they also should have had a penalty. There was a goal that was ruled out for a slight arm on David mm. De Gea, the softest thing I've ever seen. Um, but I don't think I can allow myself to believe it because if Liverpool goes so close but then lose out, I'll be absolutely torn in half. I'd believe deep down, but I think I think Newcastle have just got the harder fixtures. You were all dead. And, you no, were all I, ca- happy that it was dead and buried the other week. Are we not just yeah. happy that there's a sniff of an opportunity? Yeah. I I think it'd hurt more now. No, I where I am is very very similar to Chloe. I can't allow myself to dream at this point. But what's changed for me is I now believe Liverpool are going to win their next three games. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. the big thing that's changed for me. Um, and whatever else will happen will happen. But now I'm confident that going into next season, regardless, Liverpool will be back. Yeah. And that's yes. enough for me. That that that's fine. I'm okay. I can I can make me bed and sleep in it comfortably at night, knowing that Liverpool are gonna be back. The, nice the thing that like is doing my head in slightly, and it doesn't change anything, is that we play on a Monday. We're the last to play. I think pressure is a big thing. It doesn't change anything. Liverpool still need to win, and Manchester United still need to win, and Newcastle. So it doesn't ultimately it doesn't change anything. The outcome still needs to be the same. But playing first and putting pressure on teams who, I mean, I think Newcastle might have Leicester, maybe. I might be wrong with that. Um, but we've got, we've we've got, got Leicester Monday. Oh, we? sorry. Newcastle have Brighton, maybe then. Either way, right, yeah. well, um, they do have Leicester as well. Somewhere Brighton are a concern still. They are, yeah. yeah. Brighton are still a concern. Yeah. But I think they play Arsenal and, and City, which I'm hoping is where they drop points. I, I just look at Newcastle's fixtures and think, okay, they're harder. Newcastle they're harder have got fixtures. Leeds, then Brighton. Need to win something. Need to win something. Leeds, Brighton, Leicester. Need to win something. Chelsea. Chelsea, just... No. But Chelsea, again, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, last game of the yeah, season. exactly. Lampard's big final farewell to the back. You know what I mean? He gets Could be a they both got Chelsea then. They both got to play yeah. Chelsea. I'd really love if Luke Shaw could just get a little mini injury and be out for the rest of the season so they've got to play Harry Maguire. Yeah. Or I mean, that's hilarious to play in Luke Shaw. Well, this he was good last night. No, this, this was kind of what I was going to say before when we were talking about them. It's like, it's, it's Ten Hag's decision to play Luke Shaw at centre. I don't yeah. feel too sorry for them. Yeah, yeah. You've got an £80 million centre-half sat there. Yeah, that's a very good point, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah my, my point on that is just to, just to, I'm exactly where you are at. What I mean is that I may be peace with this this whole season. I think Liverpool, I, Liverpool were more than capable of turning it round, and they have. It doesn't mean we're going to do it, but I'm looking at it going, if Liverpool are going to get top four, all the orgas are there. you know. And it, they've been there for weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, It's the times when we drop points and other, t- other teams drop points. Oh, we, we should have been dead and buried when we lost to City, but everyone else dropped points that weekend. And that was the chance to, to, not, to for it to be to truly dead and buried for us. Mm. And we've just managed to keep it ticking over. And you're right, when you look at it and go, what's winnable and what's not winnable, this season's mental. You know, every, the amount of games that have been lost that shouldn't have been lost and the amount of random situations, they've all got things, they've all got situations there. And I, I, I agree, Newcastle's running on paper looks 
trickier just because there's certainly loads more at stake. But like, even at the Wolves thing... They've only got one game in hand as well. Yeah, but look at the but the Wolves thing. You know, like we, we go all Wolves or whatever, but Wolves could you, Wolves could get battered by someone, as we've seen, as happened last week. But they, they, they'll they turn up every other week and put in a really a really good performance. If it was at Molyneux, I'd be up for that, I would. I, I think it says a lot at the fact that I saw, like you mentioned Twitter, I saw people posting fixtures, like United fans posting their last four fixtures and saying three wins out of four. I'm not too sure we can do that. And I'm sat there like, Wolves, they're Chelsea, like, Bournemouth. Like, what are you going on about? They know, they're 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 I really hope that, that happens. The, the thing for Ten Hag, I think he's had, he's had a massive impact at the start of the season. I think it's fairly obvious to say that. I think he, he put in place a system where they could all get behind in a way of winning games and, and they built up a lead on us, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing now. And it does feel like what you were saying before, like they're limping over the line. Thanks to the guys for that one. Right, next up then, it's expert insight time. Dan Club spoke to Raphael Honigstein of The Athletic to get everything, everything, everything you need to know about Liverpool search for a new sporting director and the links with George. Let's go with Schmadke. Let's go with Schmadke. I'm going to go with Schmadke. So yeah, Rafa Honigstein is the absolute business when it comes to the Bundesliga. Who else would you want to hear from? But here it is, Rafa Honigstein himself. We're here to talk about Liverpool's interest, if you like, in inverted commas, in Jörg Schmadke. Um, former Wolfsburg chief, of course, left his role at the Bundesliga club earlier this year. It's a it's a fascinating um, potential appointment, actually, from Liverpool's perspective. It was reported earlier this week in the Telegraph that Liverpool were in talks with him. He's what you'd call a surprise frontrunner, I think it's fair to say. So... What have you made of the initial report, Rafa? Do you think, can you see why Liverpool are interested in him? I can see why Jurgen Klopp is looking for somebody like him to help him at this moment in time. Liverpool are in need of a bit of experience in the transfer market, especially with such an important window coming up. And I think there's one or two suggestions that this might not be necessarily a long-term appointment, but more directed at uh, doing a job now mm-hmm. and then maybe seeing how things work out, which I think would make a lot of sense. Um, Jürgen Klopp, I think, has a relationship with him, which is not necessarily a business relationship because they never work together, but uh, they know each other. Um, they have uh, a few links through people that uh, they both work with, mm-hmm. worked with. And it uh, would suggest to me that uh, Klopp has been looking for uh, someone that he trusts, somebody that he thinks uh, can do a job with relatively little uh, preparation, uh, you know, going into the deep end, as it were, quite quickly. And that's why I think we're seeing his name being mentioned. Yeah, it's a fascinating one. Just a little bit of background on him as a person. He was a former player, actually, he was a goalkeeper. He played for Dusseldorf, Freiburg, Leverkusen and Busch and Gladbach. And since his playing career, he's had um, different roles with Hanover, Cologne, Hamburg and, of course, Wolfsburg more recently. So he really is, if you like, a son of the Bundesliga, having never really left Germany. So in terms of his credentials for this role, Liverpool have... I think it's fair to say appointed best in class for this role previously, the sporting director role. We had Michael Edwards, Julian Ward is currently in situ there. Do you think Schmadke will bring a different approach to that? You mentioned the word experience there. Is he likely to be a part of this data-driven team that Liverpool have had before, or will he bring something different to the job? 
I mean, he's not a data scientist himself. He's not an analyst. He doesn't come from a maths background uh, like the people that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But he has been in football for a long time and he has worked quite innovatively, even if uh, perhaps it doesn't tick the big narrative of Moneyball or things like that. Um, reading the other day, I um, remembered a, an interview he did where he said he would used to send scouts to games, not telling them which is the which player uh, that they're interested in, okay. um, trying to kind of root out uh, a bit of bias. Mm. Uh, he was also thinking about stuff that I think since then has been uh, almost proven. Or at least some studies have been made that scouts tend to look players look at players more favorably as the, if the weather's nice, for example. So he he is aware of those biases, of those mistakes that can mm -hmm. happen. He's made it his uh, business to make fewer mistakes than others. That's something that he's uh, quite big on. Yeah, and he doesn't necessarily come with a hype of somebody who is very young and doing things very very differently, mm -hmm. but. I think within the industry, he is known as somebody who gets things right and uh, doesn't make uh, too many mistakes and leaves clubs in a better position from ways uh, taking them over. So I think that especially if this turns out to be more of a of a short term or short term or maybe more of a consultant role, yeah, which are one or two indications that it might be then it seems to me that there is great risk attached to appointing somebody with his experience. Yeah, and that would make more sense. You said earlier, Liverpool have got a huge um, transfer window coming up. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made and it needs to be made correctly. It's the biggest window I've known for a long time as a Liverpool fan. I've supported the club my whole life. And I think it would make sense if it was a short-term role because I spoke to a Wolfsburg-based journalist, actually once I heard this news, Nicholas Lowendorf, and he said that he spoke to Jörg earlier on this year when he left Wolfsburg and he sort of imitated that he was retiring and he wanted to spend time with his family. I mean, he's only 59, so he's a bit young to retire potentially. But I suppose if he was coming out for maybe one window or even two windows, then that would make a lot more sense as well. Um, I wanted to ask you as well. So a lot of fans since the report started coming out that he was the front runner for the job and that Liverpool were in sort of advanced talks. And a lot of fans have been, I suppose, turning their noses up at some of the signings he's made given his previous roles. But do you put that down to his ability at the job or do you put that down to the fact that he was working within a scope he was working within a budget and given a bigger budget say at Liverpool for instance he's actually got potential to do a better job in many senses yeah I think that um, you have to look at his signings and say were they good signings for his club yeah you know they, they weren't superstars he didn't sign Erling Haaland when he was 15 um, he did make a few mistakes, like like everyone would do with mm -hmm. hundreds of transfers uh, over the space of twenty years. But I think the fact that he is quite highly regarded—well, actually, take out the quiet—that he's highly regarded within Germany shows you that people think that he's a smart operator. Yeah, and uh, tends to get things right. Now, again, I understand why. Liverpool fans would be more excited if you present to them the person who did this and who did mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, saw this guy before anyone else. Um, I think with the clubs that he's worked for, you can't necessarily expect uh, that kind of track record. And I think that Liverpool, the way that they're working, don't necessarily need somebody to identify new talent. 
I think there is a structure there. I think there is a very strong data-driven yeah. uh, department there that people haven't all gone. Um, this is more, I think, designed to have somebody in the room who can get things done, mm-hmm. uh, negotiate, uh, be impressive when it comes to maybe convincing the player or the parents to move to Liverpool. And uh, it's that kind of job that I think Klopp himself just cannot do for yeah. time constraints that Schumacher could potentially be very useful in. Yeah, it's interesting that because you mentioned sort of the data-driven side, they're not all leaving. And it's actually Will Spearman who's going to be taking over from Ian Graham in one of the lead roles. I think it's director of research. Um, and I actually spoke to Mark Carey, a colleague of yours at The Athletic, about him earlier on this year. And he... He couldn't speak highly enough of him. So it's, you are right. The, the core of what Liverpool do in the market in the recruitment sense is remaining. And it might just be that Jurgen Klopp needs and wants someone that he trusts to sort of oversee that sort of thing. And it seems like he might be the man. Um, you mentioned earlier, Rafa, about the relationship between Klopp and Jörg. Um, and it's a relationship that hasn't extended in terms of football. It's a music-based relationship, we're led to believe. But I wanted to touch on that. And I want to touch on who he is as a person, because we've heard a lot about him over the last few days. I think Nico Kovac, the Wolfsburg manager, came out and spoke about him as well at the weekend in a post-match interview about his his character and his humour. He seems like a bit of a maverick to me. Is he somebody that's likely to um, not cause friction, but he's not going to say yes to Jurgen Klopp all the time, is he? I think that's quite obvious to see. Yeah, I think that's probably right. He's had uh, a lot of um, quite uh, strong disagreements with with coaches that he got along with, but also mm-hmm. with coaches that he didn't get along with. And some of those disagreements played out in the public yeah. and gave him a bit of a reputation for somebody who is very forthright, very honest to the point of being quite painful and brutal at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has since spoken a lot about the fact that uh, part of that was a persona that he felt he uh, kind of took on almost to scare people away or, or to uh, make the media leave him alone a little bit, you know, very grumpy, um, always in a bad mood, seemingly. Um, and I'm not sure that that is the whole story. You know, the people who know him a lot better say he's a very, very funny guy, very mm-hmm. smart, really good to work with. So, um I think the surprise reaction that you might have seen from one or two journalists was really based on the public persona, not so much about the person behind it. Uh, And when you speak to those who know him well, I think a different picture emerges. Now, what's important, I think, in all of this is that I don't expect him to have any public-facing role in this uh, at Liverpool. I think he'll be behind the scenes. He'll be a sounding board. He'll be an enforcer. He'll be somebody to get things done. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think we'll ever hear him talk about uh, how a particular game went or what the situation is in transfer. I'd be very surprised. So all these things that people kind of mostly associate with him with, I don't think will, will play any role in any part in his brief at Liverpool. So uh, it's probably not overly relevant uh, what kind of persona he's, he's projected in the public. Uh, what matters is how well he gets along with Klopp and those mm-hmm. below him. Yeah. when it comes to agreeing, but also disagreeing on certain targets. And can he do the job effectively? And I'm sure that uh, both Klopp and Liverpool will, will keep a close eye if uh, indeed it comes to pass and then decide if this might be a situation that will be beneficial in the long run. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the two fivey characters, obviously, in terms of Schmadke and Klopp himself, and it might be sort of behind the scenes that they sort of clash and have disagreements about stuff. Right then, next up, it is Jano Inside Time, Steve Hall again. That's me, just preferring myself in the third person, because why not? Along with Neil Jones, I don't know why I did that, but we're going to leave it in. It's absolutely fine. Right then, yeah, loads and loads going on at Liverpool, loads of rumours swirling about potential incomings, especially in the midfield area. Once again, me and Neil talking about transfers because that's the kind of stuff that you guys love. You've mentioned Mason Mount a couple of times and I want to want to bring you on to him. Obviously, Pochettino's going to be the new Chelsea manager. There's another one rolled through the Chelsea door. Um, Sammy Mockwell wrote in the mail today that Pochettino believes Liverpool target Mason Mount can have a key role in the Chelsea side. Chelsea are desperately keen to keep him to stay. Um, I've always had the sense of this one, Neil, that it was more a case of Chelsea would like him, he wouldn't mind staying there, but there's a... There's questions about his role inside the financial con- yeah. package of the contract as well. And Liverpool have very much weight in there in case anything happens. Similarly, actually, I used to feel with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain a while ago with Arsenal, there's no great desire for anything to happen, but it kind of ends up happening in the end. Yeah. Does the Pochettino thing change anything in your mind, or do you think Liverpool have very much still in the mix of Mason Mount? Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's like Oxlade-Chamberlain. I think Oxlade-Chamberlain couldn't wait to get out of Arsenal, I think he, you know, he was playing. Really? Okay, he was playing right wing back and left wing back yeah, for sure. Arsenal in game. You know, I think he he wanted to go to play in a different position, play for a different club. But I think Mount, but it, it could change something with with him. I think we talked about with, with Lampard going in, didn't we? That would would, would he? I, I think it was sort of you wouldn't tie your future to Frank Lampard or any interim manager. Not no, that's not we're not just throwing gratuitous jabs at Frank Lampard, but. It, it wouldn't. I couldn't see him going in and saying, "Look, stick around," you know, and Mount saying, "Go on and give me the pen. I'll sign the contract." But if a new manager's coming in with a sort of, a, like you say, a blueprint of what we're going to do, then yeah, there's a possibility of it. Depends on on the money, doesn't it? I mean, one of the, one of the reasons he wanted to leave Chelsea, I think, was a. I think he he felt a bit undervalued, both in terms of, you know, his his contract and maybe the sort of. Treatment of him as well a little bit, but but you know compared to other players who were coming in, you look at. I, mean, I can only imagine some of the contracts that have been thrown out to, well, for your to um, players. Well, for your fair, I just wrote in the Evening Standard, obviously just a while ago, talking about um, you know Reece James got a quarter of a million pound a week contract at Chelsea recently, and that and Mason Mount maybe asking for similar stuff. So he he actually just wrote, you know, his future remains in doubt despite Pochettino seeing the midfield as a key part. Yeah, he's out of contract, and and so and it, it does it feels to me like. Maybe it is just the, the the finances of it. When you like you say, I'm get, I can't even imagine what they're paying someone. You know what are they paying Enzo Fernandez now? Yeah, what are, you know all these lads yeah. have come in. They must be getting pretty decent. Though Mason Mount might be there going. Hang on a minute. I've been here the whole time. I've been your best player for two seasons. Help you win a Champions League. Done all kinds, and then all these lads are waltzing in. And even Reece, I think Reece James is a very good player. But if you're paying him a quarter of a million pound a week, why why aren't I getting that offered to me? Yeah. And I don't, you know, you don't know how much work's gone in from Liverpool's side as well. You know, it, it might be a case of, look, my mind's made up, you know, sort of yep. Liverpool have, are going to give me this and this. You've got Chelsea not going to be in Europe next season, never mind the Champions League. You know, they're probably going to have to do some creative accountancy around getting rid of players and making sure that they can balance books and, you know, yeah, it's easy to say give you know, oh yeah, give him a two hundred thousand pound a week contract, but when you're trying to trim the wage bill by getting rid of, you know, I don't know, maybe Raheem Sterling and Christian Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech and players like that, it's not as easy as it to just sort of start giving players what they want. 
I can see why Pochettino would 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 want him to be around. You know, he's got that sort of. You could see him as a sort of Deli Ali from from his Tottenham days, couldn't he? You know, in terms of being that homegrown sort of attacking midfield player who who, who really sort of sets a tone for for the way the team plays with energy and and high press and you know tactical smartness. I could see why. Pochettino or any manager would come in and say, "Well, what, what are we doing getting rid of him? You know, he should be he should be in our team. Never mind going to Liverpool." Um, but I think there's a possibility that Liverpool have sort of. I don't think they'd have allowed it to get to this situation if they didn't think there was half a chance that he wanted to join them. I don't. I, I don't think they'd sort of say, "Oh, he hasn't signed the contract." You know, if and when he does, we'll, we'll ask the question. I think they'll have they'll have done some groundwork and got some encouragement from from his side that. You know, yeah, I am. I am. For, and it, listen, it, you know, he's 24. We see it with players. We've seen players leave Liverpool who just just think, you know, I want something new. I want yeah. I want to go and do something different. You know, I, I, funny enough, I was just listening to um podcast with Steve McManaman on the way in and he, it, it was very eloquent how he explained why he left Liverpool. And he just sort of said, you know, there was a lot of different factors, but in the end, they all sort of pointed to the idea that you know what, go and go and do something different. You know, go and go and try a new a new step. For your career. Yeah. Body, right? yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and of course there was a little bit of fallout with the club. There was a few little bits that he wasn't happy with. There was obviously a desire they weren't in the position that he wanted the club to be in in terms of where they were. So you know, they all they all sort of fit with Mason Mount, don't they? You know, yeah. like you're sort of 24, you're England places up for for. For grabs, you know he, he's he's in the England squad, but I think he's one of them ones that a lot of people see as well. If you're not playing, if he's not playing well or not playing regularly, then he's going to lose his. his he lost his, his place. Squad. I mean, Hendo took yeah, his place, didn't he? The, yeah, he, he didn't play. You know exactly. Yeah, he started the World Cup and, and didn't finish it, didn't he? So, so there's there's lots of reasons why I could see why he'd want to move on in the summer. It's whether Chelsea are able to convince him. Or flip side, whether Liverpool are able to convince them to, to otherwise. The bit that worries me is that every report I see. Well, I think worries. It's it's a, a bit of a flag. Is that he, he wants to stay at Chelsea and they insist they want to keep him? I I, I just hope that you know it, it's an easy way to get an extra couple of grand on your weekly wage if you if you, yeah. you know if you're if you're yeah. him going well Liverpool what me Liverpool Liverpool are going to will, willing to pay me X Y and Z because it does feel like if Chelsea if this isn't this isn't someone who desperately wants maybe wants to join. It, it feels like his, his desire yeah. would be to stay. And that's why it gets a bit messy because we've always heard of like this this kind of stuff where you know Liverpool are offering me this, so can you match it or you know why yeah. why why you think I'm worth them, but they actually think I'm worth this. That's where it gets it can be a bit of a concern where not in fact not using Liverpool, but kind of like making it known. Well, in fact, no using Liverpool. Well, these like me. Why why are a team who are better than using higher up in the league willing to pay me more money than the team I've grew up with or my hometown club, something's not adding up, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're an agent, but you would be using that to try and get Chelsea to up. Yeah, but with. at the same time, Chelsea aren't... Mace Mount wasn't going to leave Chelsea on a free and and be ringing up clubs saying, can I come in on trial? You know, yeah. you know that Chelsea know that he's valued by... They know that if, if, if he was available at the end of his contract, that all of the, the top six clubs... All of them would 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 have him, and would give him a good yep. first team comparable wage. You know, so that it's not a, it's not a surprise in the sense of, you know, Liverpool are offering you that like you know whoa like we you know where's that come from? You know, they, they know they know there's a, a value there. I think there's, there's there's probably a little bit of a reason you know around. I think homegrown players generally sort of find it harder maybe to get that 
massive, massive wage. You know, I think you've you've heard other players at Manchester United and Liverpool down the years talk about it. You know, that they sometimes feel underpaid compared to a guy who comes in from another club for twenty million or thirty million. I remember Jamie Carragher saying that. Yeah. He said, Rafa said to him. I haven't offered you one yet because I know you're going to sign it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I let yeah. you box everyone else off first. It's like an assu- assumed yeah. loyalty almost yeah, yeah, yeah. F- from the player. Um, so, you know, Chelsea have got Chelsea have got a lot of potential. Definitely, I think within that squad, I, I still, you know, it is baffling where they actually are and how bad they've been sort of, this, you know, this, this season. When you look at player for player who's on the pitch, they've always got, a very good side on the pitch, haven't they? You know, in terms of talent, so there's a lot of potential there, but there's also a lot of potential problems for, for Chelsea. You know, and if you were, if you, if you were a smart player and, and a sort of a, a player who looks at those kind of things, I don't know if Mason Mount is that, but I, I believe he is quite a, you know, quite an intelligent lad, or he's got intelligent people around him. If you look and saying, God, what about how long's Pochettino going to be there? Like, how many signings are you going to make this summer? You know, like. Like what's Bowley gonna do next? Or you know, what 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 sort of what sort of stability is there at the club? Even if I signed a four or five year deal, you know, like I could find myself next January being offered out on loan. I could find myself, you know, the, the first thing they do after they give me this new this new contract is they buy someone who plays in my position. You know, what whatever. So th- there are a lot of uncertainties around Chelsea as well. That I think will make a few players a bit nervous. You know, a bit sort of worried. You what, yeah, and what, what, what I get the sense of, and you might, again, this might be true, being a mad, but like, they're so unconventional because this fellow's come in and they've acted so differently. Like, the logic would be he said he's not signed a contract, so now we have to sell him because we can't afford to lose someone like this for nothing. But like, this owner's mad. Like, I don't know. Like, does, yeah. does, he play, does he play by those rules? Does he go, no, well, I'm, I'm, I've, I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? That, that's the yeah. other thing. And it's like, the, presu- the presumed logic, and, and it was in the report there as well, was like, if he doesn't sign, then they're going to have to sell him. But I just don't trust. I don't trust or know Todd Bowley to follow the conventional stuff. He's given ten-year contracts out or whatever. He's doing mad stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the that's the flip side of this. There's nothing wrong. They could hold Mason Mount until January and then make a decision in January. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything's on the table here because this fella is so unconventional. Yeah, possibly. But at, at the same time, that's all right if you're in the Champions League and you, you've got you've got that financial sort of security. You know, I think Chelsea have ridden roughshod over a few rules this season in terms of, like you say, trying to circumnavigate FFP with these long contracts and spreading the, the cost out but they're not in, they're not in the Champions League so the, the, whatever, however way they, they they operate there's going to be a black hole somewhere in, the, in yeah. the, the finances which means that if you're getting offered 40, 50 million pounds for a player who doesn't want to be there or said he doesn't want to be there even even an unconventional owner or an owner that's got a, a strange way of working has to or can't ignore that and also the other the other thing is really he will start getting it right at some point like he will he will make these mistakes I mean FSG done not not in a similar manner but they made mistakes early in their tenure where it was you know what were they thinking you know like what what was that all about and eventually they they stumbled upon the formula they they got the right people in the right positions they they sort of got a few people out the way and streamlined it and in the end it started to sort of work a lot better I'm, I'm pretty sure Chelsea will do it. you know you look at the people they've appointed you know there's too many sort of brains around the club below the maybe below the sort of the figurehead not not to stumble upon it um, at some point and 
if they were to stumble upon it at the moment, let's say they do it now, one of the first things someone will say is, well, that's easy money. Like that's you know he's not going to sign a contract. We can't let that run down. So we'll have, yeah. he'll have to be sold. You know I think there's, there's other players in similar positions. And there's obviously you'll start to see. We've already seen it a little bit with Chelsea that they've started to to not buy 29, 30 year olds. You know in January they've bought younger players where it's like right at the very worst we're going to sort of get some money back. For these players, and most guys. To be fair, you can't, give a, you can't give a thirty-year-old a ten-year contract. Maybe that's what the thing. Yeah. You mean you probably? I mean, you might. You might. Yeah. The best players, thirty-eight or something. So yeah, maybe you could. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's. I mean, he's going in the summer. There's a lot of changes coming, isn't there, with with, with Chelsea? And I think, I the impression I get, I think Mount will probably will probably be one of the players that leaves. I think you know, Chilwell be another one. Um, and there's obviously a whole raft of wide forwards that they're gonna gonna have to move on. I mean, they've still got. I think Lukaku still plays for Chelsea, doesn't he? I'm pretty yep. sure. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Batshuayi still contracts somewhere, just out on loan, somewhere <laughs> that we've, we've forgotten about. Aubameyang is knocking around. Yeah, Aubameyang, yeah, he's another one. So there's loads there's loads of sort of big name players, I think, on the market for Chelsea, and I think Mount's one of them. To, to wrap the Mount stuff up then, the only one, last point I want to make on it, we haven't spoken about him for a while, actually, is that the general consensus we've heard, again, is that Liverpool would quite like to get their business done relatively yeah. early. They don't want to leave it until as long as last time, and... And end up in a in a situation where the where they're scrambling around for half a mellow. The Mason Mount thing, it, it I guess that that depends on how long he's willing to give. Ch- oh, you know what I mean? Like how long they're willing to the if there is a standoff, how long does that standoff go? Because yeah. they 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 could sell him on deadline day. You know, they could it could roll right up to it again. The ball's kind of in Chelsea's court a little bit there. That's a potential other issue that Liverpool might have to overcome if, if he is certainly as high on the list as we. we yeah, but that's is. every that's every. Club isn't it? You yeah, know, yeah. You, you can't force a club to unless there's a, a, a specific release clause or you know trigger point or they're out of contract. You can't you can't sort of set hard and fast deadlines and say we want it. But I think Liverpool, when we say Liverpool want their business done, I think what it means is that they they, they think they've done the groundwork. You know, in terms of that, 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 it's not a case of right who do we want. You know, season's over. Right, let's have a look at this scouting. Database like well, who are we going to have a look at? Okay, does anyone know his agent's number? No, can you find? You know, it's a lot more sort of. There's a lot more work that's been done already on that front. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll keep an eye on the Mason Mount stuff for sure. I'm sure I'm sure there'll be more of it to come in future weeks. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And finally, thank you to Neil, by the way, for joining me. I should have said that before. Right then. Now, and finally, um, deep dive time. It's Chris, it's Josh, it's stats, it's analysis, it's tactics. It's all that good stuff that you guys love. Like I say, one of these episodes goes out free each and every week, usually in podcast form, definitely on YouTube as well if you want to check it out. But there's also a second episode each and every week for Red Men Plus subscribers. And here is a little snippet from that Red Men Plus episode of The Deep Dive. So this show is about Jay. <laughs> um, and we will be discussing Liverpool's timeline, I suppose, of directors of football going back all the way to Damien Camoli, Josh. Um yeah, I'm interested to see what you've got first thing. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting talking point, isn't it? I mean, obviously, Liverpool are going into like the biggest summer in years, and we don't actually have a guy in place at the minute to negotiate the deals. So, <laughs> so Klopp previously said he hates doing that, dealing with agents and things. So, it looks like we're getting in a fella called Jay um, <laughs> to 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 assume the role that's previously been employed by. Um, Damien Camoli to start with, and then Michael Edwards further down the line. But if we go right back to the beginning, we can kind of paint a picture of what this role is supposed to look like, the person, what the person's supposed to look like who occupies it. Well, in 1892, did we have one? <laughs> well, probably not, no. But to be honest, back in them days, it was a lot more simple when you just signed a fellow who lived around the corner from you. 442. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Camoli was, was a person oh, first. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely. Have to have an old postcode to play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but Camoli was appointed first, wasn't he? Um, upon the recommendation of Billy Bean. Yeah. Uh, which I found out a few years ago, surprisingly. Um, he was in contact with, with John Henry at the time, who had just kind of established like a data-driven, evidence-based institution in Boston, um, creating the Boston Red Sox, and, and not creating the Boston Red Sox, but delivering success to the Boston Red Sox. Well, they had an 86-year drought, if yeah. you remember. The, yeah, you the Bambino case. Um, it was... It was them that ended it, wasn't it? Their data-driven department, and they kind of changed the landscape in baseball completely. Yeah. Well, anyone who's seen Moneyball will, will know of Billy Bean. And, uh, John Henry initially tried to, to get Bean to the Red Sox. Um, but... I'd love to have Mr Bean at Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, same, yeah. Apparently, he's he's a little bit involved in football, actually. I Is think he, he, had, he had some kind of say in, like, AZ or something like that. I think it might have been in, Did... in Holland. Is he... Is he on one of the? Oh, has he got shares in one of the ownership companies of Liverpool yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Redbird. Redbird. Yeah, he's got again. shares in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he was kind of having a bit of an influence at the time because he, he knew of John Henry because John Henry tried to get him to Boston. He failed um, and ended up getting in a fella called uh, Theo Epstein instead. Mm-hmm. Who was kind of like think of Edwards, Michael Edwards, but in in baseball, young, progressive. Uh, this fellow was kind of straight out of, I think it was Yale University and really clever and stuff like that, modern ways and stuff. And he also got in a fellow called Bill James, who is the stats guy, like the, the sabermetrics fella behind it all type thing, all the money ball stuff. Um, and that was kind of the, the way Boston did it. We then used Bean's recommendation to get Camoli in. And the idea was to sign was to unearth hidden gems in a similar manner. And roughly how old was Camoli at this age, at this point? 
Do you know what? I don't. I don't know. I know he'd been previously sporting director of Spurs. Yeah. Um, and he Jordan's time at Spurs, he'd met with Michael Edwards, and he'd met with Ian Graham actually as a as a consultant, and he'd also done scouting work for Arsenal as a scout. Just a standard didn't we scout. buy his? Did we buy his scouting company, or who was that that we did that with? Yeah, we tried. We tried to buy the scouting company that Camoli used at Spurs. And Ian Graham worked for that, that scouting was company. It, yes. Yeah, it was a decision technology. That, that was it, yeah. Yeah, we tried to get them in, tried to purchase the company outright, but we couldn't because Spurs had an exclusive agreement with them. So then we said, right, we'll take Ian Graham then. Um, but that was how Camoli kind of started it off. Didn't initially get Graham in straight away, but did poach Edwards from Spurs and then Graham from decision technology. Um, and I think the original idea was to basically unearthed hidden gems for relatively cheap. I remember it coming out a, few, a while back that he had a budget of, I think it was 10 million euros per player or something, which is a mad way of doing things. Mm. And if you look back at Liverpool's business back then, you know, we signed some really obscure, mad players, didn't we? From like, like Sammy Yesel, I think we got in. Yeah. Um, we got in... Asaidi. yeah. Who, I think it's interesting actually, if you get up his numbers on... Um, on FBF or whatever, he, before he signed for Liverpool, did look pretty pretty active in the season before he signed. He scored 10 goals and registered seven assists in the Dutch top flight. That is as a 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. Season before, nine goals and 10 assists. So, I think Camoli's kind of had a look at that without Graham's help at this point. And thought, right, we'll take a chance on him. And, he, and he's brought the likes of him in. There was a few success stories in there. He did get in Luis Suarez, to be fair to well, him. It would be, you know what I sort of like in that too? It'd be like me being put in charge of <laughs> of like the of the Liverpool thing. Because you kind of roughly know a little bit, but they say a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, but you don't, you're not clever enough to be able to do it at all. Yeah. And it's like, well, he's got 10 goals and 10 assists. So <laughs> I'm going to sign Asaidi and uh, no one's going to ever see him. Um <laughs> But no, look, I mean, Jordan Henderson as well. You know, yeah, he signed yeah. one of the best captains Liverpool have ever had. You, know, you mentioned Suarez. Um, Aspas went on to have a good career, just not a Liverpool. Um, yeah. So there were, there, were, there were success stories there as well. And and to be fair, Moreno's gone on and had a good career after he's left Liverpool as well. And there was a point where I thought maybe, sorry, Alberto Moreno was turning the corner at Liverpool before he got injured and Robertson be- and took his place. So Yeah, um, Luis Alberto as well. Luis Alberto, yeah. So, th- I mean, there are players there that you can look at and think, blimey, that's pretty good. Like, But he hasn't got, let's say, the background that, like, you mentioned Theo Epstein there, you know, massive yeah. in, in the, the case of the Bambino, but also he ended the Cubs 108-year wait as well when he moved to them. So he ended up going, he was twice, at, he was twice wasn't he, at um, the Red Sox? And he won two with them. I think he left for a year, came back, they won it again. Yeah. And then I think maybe 2015, 2016 time, I'm sure Chicago or baseball fans will be able to t- tell me different. He took he, he took them to a championship after being three years of building up to it and then took them to a championship using the exact same sort yeah. of w- way and workings and stuff. So clearly this stuff can take time, but if you get the right people in place, I think Liverpool have proved, you know, it's not an instant success story, but if you decide straight away that it's not about instant success, it's about building for the future. That's what FSG did back then with Camoli, and then we move on, I suppose, into the Edwards era. Yeah, well, you know, at the, at the time, he did paint himself as this kind of data numbers guy, and he, he painted himself as someone who was a bit 
modern and and, and that sort of thing. That's why he was so inspired by Moneyball, and that's why he contacted Billy Bean, and they became like distant friends and things like that. But in terms of his actual ability himself to use the numbers and and kind of assess, interpret them almost. At Spurs, he relied on Graham and and maybe Edwards to do a little bit of that. At Liverpool, when he first came in, they they weren't really there or they hadn't really established anything in particular just yet. So that that was when he's kind of sanctioned like a deal for Andy Carroll, for example, for thirty five million and things like that. But he did appoint Edwards, as you say, and further down the line, Edwards was initially appointed to be Liverpool's head of analysis to create an analysis department, which which didn't exist at the club at the time. But later, further down the line, when Camoli left, um, Edwards replaced him. And I think once we got Edwards in, that was when we kind of realised, like, this is what the plan was all along. Because by then, the, the, the numbers departments had been established for a couple of years. Um, Liverpool had made a fair few mistakes. They'd got out big earners like Pepe Reina and stuff like that. And uh, it was kind of up to Edwards then to basically use the budget in a, a sensible way, selling high and... and Buying low, yeah, yeah, um, so high. yeah. which to, they uh, did, yeah, and which did, is yeah. probably part of the problem of the last few years. Yeah, to be honest, is that kind of stopped. Yeah. Um, well, if you look at some of the signs Edwards made, I mean, everyone knows about them. Everyone let's knows about Edwards. Off, I'm here for it. Mo Salah, Virgil oh. Van Dijk, oh. <laughs> Fabinho, oh. Andy Robertson. Oh. <laughs> you want to do the rest, I can. Allison, Naby, no, no. Who do you think is best? Um, best seller. Yeah, I agree. Because yeah. of the price. Some people throw Robertson in there, though, don't they? I think Robertson's yeah. the most money ball one, though. In yeah, terms yeah, of yeah. just unearthing someone who just shouldn't have been that good for eight million. Absolutely. Thanks once again to Josh and to Chris. The deep dive is the best. Go and make sure you check it out. Make sure you check out everything that you've just listened to in full, in your podcast feeds, directly in your podcast feeds as well, or indeed over on YouTube. Go to redmenplus.com, yearly club captain, use the code YEAH, get it for half price, check out the show, support the channel, continue to back the Reds as we get into the business end of the season. We find ourselves back in the top four, so absolutely bananas. But yeah, that's where we're at right now. Come and join us for the rest of the season and come and join us next week for the next episode of Red Men Weekly. I'll catch you all then. Have a good week, have a good weekend, whatever you're up to, and I'll see you all soon. Bye, everyone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.